0: All right, John 17, 20 through 26. So we'll do a quick review first, and there's a, really a reason by, by why I want to do the review. So as we said last week, in, in chapter 17 of John, uh, the apostle records uh, really one of the, uh, when you really think about it, one of the most exciting passages in the Bible, and that is an actual uh, prayer of Jesus. As we mentioned last week, uh, the Bible talks, the Gospels talk all, all the time about how Jesus would go into the wilderness or go into the mountain to pray, but we never really hear what he says. Um, but here, for the whole chapter, we get to record exactly what Jesus talked to the Father uh, about. So it is, a, it is a very special passage. Now, we also mentioned that the passage itself can be divided up into three parts or three phases. So in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. Uh, in verses 6 through 19, he prays for the 11 disciples or the apostles. And then in ver- today in verses 20 through 26, uh, Jesus is going to pray for you and me. So that's pretty exciting, right? I want to know what he says about that. Now, last week we covered part two where he was praying for the disciples. And, and from the words of Jesus, if, if we go back and review real quickly, we learned five things about the, the 11 disciples. Number one... We saw that they were chosen by God the Father and given to Jesus as gifts of love. Uh, verse 6 said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Paul, As Paul will say later in uh, Ephesians, they were chosen to belong to Christ before the foundation of the world, and then they were given to, uh, to him. Uh, number 2, they are marked as true disciples by their belief and obedience, We found that in verses 6 through 8. Jesus says, They have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you that you sent me. Uh, the third thing we found out about the 11 was that they now belong to Jesus. In verse 10, Jesus said, All mine are yours, and yours are mine. They are now... Loved and valued by Jesus because they are gifts uh, from the Father. So we talked about that last week. You know, you get a gift from someone you love, you value that gift, and that's why Jesus values us so much. Number four, they will glorify Jesus when he is gone. Uh, we saw that in verse 10. Jesus is about to leave this earth. Uh, if Christ is going to be glorified, it will have to be through these. Uh, 11 men because there's no other way that people are going to see him other than through the lives and the words of the men that he will uh, that he will leave behind and then number five we saw that they will walk through the world jesus said i'm I'm praying for these men but the one thing i'm not asking is i'm not asking that you take them out of the world Um, they are to walk through the world they're going to encounter the same sicknesses the same persecutions the same trials The same tribulations as everybody else does. They're not, in that way, they're not special. Uh, But in those trials and troubles and tribulations and persecutions, they are to glorify Christ and be a witness for the risen Savior. Now, those are the five things that we kind of learned about them. From the words of Jesus, we also saw that he prayed for four things. Now, this is important, and we'll see why here um, in just a second. Number one, he prayed for their unity. Okay, look at verses 11 through 12. He said, I am no longer in the world, but they are going to be in the world, and I'm coming to you, the Father. And then he says, Holy Father, keep them. And we saw last week in the Greek, that word keep means to guard, to detain, to protect. He says, detain them, keep them, protect them in your name, those that you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what he was saying was, Holy Father, you, we talked about this last week. He's what are we? What's He guarding them from? Uh, is He guarding them from suffering? No. Is He guarding them from trials? No. Is He guarding them from tribulation and persecution? No. Because they're going to go through all of those things. Uh, what He's guarding them from here is sin. He's saying, "Keep them from sin, because sin destroys unity." Uh, if you read the rest of the New Testament, unity is the cry of the new testament we are to be unified and sin is what destroys that so he says keep them from from sin he also prays for their joy verse 13 he says now i'm coming to you and these things i speak in the world that they may have my joy Um, so jesus is saying i'm saying these things out loud so these guys can hear me uh, so that they'll have the joy that i have and we saw last week christ's joy is in his relationship with the Father. The fact that he knows who the Father is, he knows the Father loves him, he knows the Father wants the best for him, that's his joy. So no matter what situation he goes through, he can still have joy because he knows the Father's with him. He knows that he's walking in the Father's uh, will. He also prays for, number three, their protection. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And again, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so, uh, that, again, that's, we talked about it. They're going to be steadily attacked, and he said keep them from the evil one. Again, we're not praying for their, that they don't go through sickness, that they don't go through trials, they don't go through tribulations. What he's saying is your soul is under lock and key. You are protected from the evil one. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and nobody can take them away from me. Nobody can snatch him out of my hand. You are If you belong to him, you're under lock and key. The devil cannot have any access to your soul. Yes, you will go through trials, tribulations, persecutions, sicknesses, things like that. But there's no way your soul can be, can be lost. And finally, he prayed for their sanctification. So their unity, right? Uh, what was the second one? Joy. Their joy. What was the third one? Protection. Protection. And the fourth one, their sanctification. He said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have, I, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified. Again, that word sanctified. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. The word sanctify means to set apart, to be different. You're not like the world. You're set apart from the world. You're different uh, from the world. The, the 11, we are going to live in a world That's ruled and controlled by Satan, but they are to be different. They are to be sanctified, consecrated, holy in the world, but not of the world. And how will they do this? Uh, Jesus says there's only one way to be holy, only one way to be separate, to be sanctified, and that's through the truth. Um, This is what I've been thinking about a lot this week. It's it's Satan's world. Satan is the father of what? Lies. Lies. That means the whole world system is built on lies. You open the Bible, and you have truth. That's what makes you different. Your values should be based on the truth. The world's values is based on lies, right? Your belief system is based on truth. The world's belief system is based on lies. That's the separation, okay? You are sanctified. You're made holy. You're you're made different. You're set apart uh, by the the truth. And, And again, where they find the truth, obviously, Uh, the word of god so holiness separateness comes from the word of god now i took time to review all that for a very important reason and that comes in verse 20 so in verse 20 jesus says this he says i do not ask for these only okay i do not ask for these only in other words watch what he says he says father i've prayed for the unity of the leaven has he not He says, I've asked for the eleven to have joy. I've asked for the protection of the eleven. And I've asked for the eleven to be holy and separate from the world. But then he says these words, I don't just ask for them. Okay? So what he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, I'm also asking for those things, right? For unity, for joy, for joy. For protection and for holiness, he said, I don't just ask for the 11, I'm also asking for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, who is that? Oh, sure. That's us. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's saying, I'm for every disciple, for every believer, for every follower that is going to come in the next six months, in the next six years, in the next 60 years, in the next 2,000 years. I'm asking for those disciples for the exact same thing. For all those down throughout the ages who believe in me because their testimony. I think, I think about the 11 who are standing there. Now, by the way, he's praying. Why do you, one of the reasons you understand he's praying out loud is why. So they can hear it. And I'm thinking about those 11 standing there. He's asking. He's praying for them. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm asking all these things for all those who are going to believe because of what they say. Now think about that. <laughs> at this point they're probably terrified right. I mean Jesus is saying I'm leaving. I mean it's they're very close. In fact they're just a few minutes. From going to the, into the garden. And we'll see that next week. Um, they are weak. They're scared. And by the way in a few hours. What are they going to do? Scared. They're going to run. They're going to abandon him. And they're going to run. But Jesus' statement is full of, of omniscience. He knows what's going to happen, and and he knows what's going to happen that night, but he also knows what's going to happen in 40 or 50 days, or 50 days at the, at, at the uh, day of Pentecost. So he knows uh, everything, and he knows that all that's going to believe in the next year or the next 2,000 years will believe through the words of those uh, 11 men. Um, you know, you think about it. If you're here today, before the apostles died not only did they preach and teach and and they found the church um, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit they they wrote the New Testament and I don't care if you're sitting here today whether it's because you read the Bible or someone told you about what was in the Bible if you're a believer you're a believer because of what those 11 men did right, they played their part obviously you're a believer because you know. if we get down to the theological because why? Because God pulled the blinders off your eyes and he, and he made you alive. But he did that through the words of those 11 men. So you, we owe them thanks for what they did. And Jesus knew on that night it's going to happen. People are going to believe because of their word. So in that statement, Jesus in his sovereignty, he kind of looks down through the ages. He looks down through the centuries. And he sees every believer. And by the way, and I really did a lot of thinking about this week, you know, and I want you to, this is the one thing, if you don't get anything outside of this lesson, this is the one thing I want you to get. When he, when he looks down through the ages, he sees every believer. And he, by the way, he's God, right? So he actually looks down and he sees every person whose name was written in the book of life before the world began. Remember what John said. You were chosen in Christ right before the world began. The Bible says in Revelation, talking about the beast, there's a a scripture in Revelation 17, 8, and it says this. The people who belong to this world, right? Remember, we don't belong to the world, do we? We belong to him. But he says the people who belong to this world whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. Which means if you're a believer, your name was what? Written in the book of life before the world was made. That's the whole point. Same thing Paul said. You were chosen before the world began, and your name was written in the book of life before the world began. So when Jesus is standing there, wherever he was there at that point in time, and he's looking down through the ages, he sees you not as just some generic believer. He sees, he knows you by name. Because your name was written by the Father in the book. Now I want you to think about this, because this is just—if you just meditate on this a little bit, you'll see how amazing this is. That even two thousand years ago, He knew our name. Right? He, he's not sitting there praying, Lord. <laughs> you know, Father. There's, you know, just let some people believe. Hopefully, maybe, somehow. If these 11 men will just do what I ask them to do, that somehow, maybe, possibly, somebody will believe. No. No, even then, you're already chosen. Even then, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows who you are. You were saved and didn't know. Yeah. I mean, he he knows, right? Um, And again, go back to Ephesians. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You're chosen. So as he's praying... He's praying for you specifically. He's got you in mind. Now, I thought about an example of that this week. And again, what I'm trying to get across here is he's not praying some generic, general, generic, nonspecific prayer. He is praying for those who believe, and he knows exactly who you are by name. 2,000 years ago, before we were even born, he knows us by name and he's praying for us. Now again, I, I thought about an example in my own life, and that is this. You know, last year, I began to pray for a child who wasn't even born yet, right? And, and, and by the way, I didn't pray for all the children who weren't born. I prayed for one child, right? Ain't she cute? She is seriously cute, right? Now, why would I pray for a child before the child was born? Because I loved her already. And you think, how is that possible? Well, you know how. If you've ever had children, you know it's possible. You, you love them before they're there. You don't have to know them. You don't have to know their personality. You don't have to know anything. anybody. You love them before they're even born. She belonged to me, right? Does everybody here know what I'm saying? Listen, in the same way, that's how Jesus is praying for you. You need to get that. It's not some generic prayer. He's looking 2,000 years and he said, there's somebody coming called Derek who already belongs to me, who I already love. So when he's praying down throughout the ages, it's a a real prayer. The same way that my prayer for Ellicate was a real prayer. It wasn't just for some generic kid that was coming into the world. That's how he prays for us. That's, That's how much love he has for us. So I mean, I, I just think that's just, a, that's just huge, man, to, 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 uh, to understand that. And again, I don't understand how the divine mind works. I don't understand how my name was written in that book of life and someone else's wasn't. I don't, I don't get all that. But I can tell you this, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to know that before the world began, he made a decision to love me. I'm glad to know that 2,000 years ago, before I even came on this earth, that He was already praying for me. And I'm glad to know that He's still praying for me today. I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm definitely uh, glad of it. And again, if you don't get anything else out of this, this great chapter of Jesus' prayer in chapter 17, you need to get the one thing. He loves you. He loves you. Not because you love Him. In fact the scripture says the exact opposite we love him why because he, because he first loved us he doesn't say "Hold, oh, Derek, finally made a wise decision come on over here son now i love you no he loved me before the world began he loved me before i was even brought into being and i love him because he loved me that's what the scripture says right so he loves you Really and truly and uniquely, because he knows you. You you belong to him. We are his family, his personal possessions. We it's a unique relationship, so it's real. So when he prays for us, it's because it's just like me praying for Ellicate. He knows me before I'm I'm even born. So he really cares about us. He cared then, and he cares now. In fact, when you really you know, First Corinthians thirteen is is known as the love chapter, but I. I'm not so sure that John 17 shouldn't make uh, shouldn't take that title because that's really what this is distinct that that's what this is section reveals how much he loves us uh, even before we're born. Now, we've seen the things that he asked earlier for the 11, right? He prayed for the 11's unity, he prayed for their joy, he prayed for their protection, and he prayed for their sanctification. And now we see that those same things apply to us. He says, "Father, I'm not just praying for those 11, but I'm praying for everyone that's coming, everyone that's going to believe. But now, in the last part of the prayer, he's going to mention two specific things that he's going to pray for you and I. Two very specific things. So let's see what they are. Number one, he prays again for our unity. We see this in verses 20 through 21. Let's read it. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I don't know about you, but there must be something pretty important about unity. Okay? Again, he prays for unity for the eleven, right? Right? And then he says, oh, yeah, Father, all those that are coming, let me ask for unity again. Let me just point it out one more time. Now, again, when it comes, and I want you to think about this. If you read those verses, when it comes to our life here on earth, to our character and our behavior, that's all he prayed for. I mean, think about it. Why did he pray? He didn't pray for our love. He didn't pray for our humility. He didn't pray for us to have mercy to one another. He didn't pray for us to forgive one another. He didn't pray for our, even ask for our holiness. or our, he, he he prays for one thing. When He looks down through the ages and He sees us, He says, I pray that they may be unified. Now, again, <laughs> unity must be a pretty big deal. Now, I ask myself, why would He just, Why? what is it about unity that's so important? Well... I think in one case, I think unity is a byproduct of all those other things. For example, if you're living a holy life, um, if you're walking in truth and you're sanctified, set apart from the world, don't you think we'd be unified? Yes or no? Yeah. If you're walking in love, don't you think we'd be unified? I mean, I think at the end of the day, you can talk about humility and mercy and forgiveness and a million other things, But unity only comes by us walking in those characteristics, okay? I think, so he prays, in a sense, he's praying for our unity, but he's also in the same sense asking the Father to to conform us to his image and all those characteristics so that we will walk in unity. I'm not sure. All I can really tell you is that unity must be important. At the same time, if unity is your focus, then you're motivated set aside your own interests. Yep. I mean if you recognize unity is really 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 important to yep. God and and Christ then you know it's, it's more important yep. that we be like-minded than that I get my way. And in fact, think about it in your life, think about situations, and that's a really good point, Ron. Think about a situation in your life where you've you've had to walk in unity. Isn't it, if you think about the situation with someone, haven't you had to put aside certain things? Doesn't love come to the forefront? Doesn't forgiveness come to the forefront? Doesn't mercy come to the forefront? All those things, selfishness moves to the back. You, You can't, if everybody's for themselves, you can't walk in unity. So unity almost forces you to all those other characteristics have to come into, come into play. He's, he's, exactly, uh, he's exactly right. Now, let me ask you a question. Jesus is praying for a spiritual unity, a spiritual oneness between you or I. Now, what does that mean? What, what does that mean that we that we walk in unity? Somebody tell me. There's strength and unity. Okay, there's strength and unity. Okay. Somebody else. What is it? What is he's praying? What does exactly does it mean for you and I to be unified? Our will is
1: the same. Okay, our will is the, the same. Thing.
0: Okay, our will is the same. We want the same things. We're striving for the same things. We're working for the same things. I, I want to talk a little bit about and it gives me a chance to talk about this, because this is really important. I want to talk a, a little bit about positional unity versus practical unity. And this kind of is taking a left turn a little bit, but I think it's important. Do you understand that positionally in Christ, we are one, right? The only problem is we don't always manifest it, do we? We don't don't walk in it in practice. Uh, Your position is what you are in Christ. Your practice is how you act, okay? Um, And sometimes you don't act like what you already are. Okay? Now let me I I, like, I I I want to talk about that for just a second because it gives me a chance to discuss this concept of positional versus practical, which is very important to understanding scripture. In fact, you'll never understand scripture. You'll never understand who you are in Christ unless you understand positional versus practical. So I want to give you an example from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 21. I want you to listen to this. This is Paul talking and this is about your position, who you are in Christ. He says this, but now you have been united with Christ. Who's he talking to? Christians. Christians, all of us. You've been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us by creating in himself one new people from two groups together we are his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is christ himself we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the lord now that is a that is unity right You're no longer two people. You are a new, by the way, if you're a Christian, you're the part of a new people called Christians, right? And notice what he says. We are carefully joined together, right? Uh, In him, becoming a holy temple. That 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 is who you are in Christ right there. Notice, he never says, one day we will be united with Christ. One day we will. What does he say? We are. We are. We are. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, in the same... Again, that is a spiritual oneness. Positionally, in Christ, we are one. We all belong to Jesus. We all belong to the body. We've all been born again. We're all part of this new people group called Christians. Paul says in Ephesians 4, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's unity. Do we agree? Now, watch this we don't act like that though sometimes do we in fact by the way god understands that that he understands it so much that he inspired paul to write this by the way notice this is ephesians chapter two this is ephesians chapter four same letter watch what he says now these are the gifts christ gave to the church apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers Watch this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full standard of Christ. You see, the chapter 2 is all about who you are in Christ. Chapter 4 is all about who you really are in practice. And he says in practice... You don't walk in it. So God has given us pastors and teachers, people who will help mold us and conform us until we come to the matureness of unity. Does everybody see that? It's positional versus practical. Um, So again, positionally, we are one in Christ, but in real world actions, not, not so much, right? So God gives us people to teach us and equip us and mold us so that we come and become in practice who we already are in Christ. You are one, but God says, I'm going to give you all the basics and all the things you need to become one visibly before the world. So Jesus only asks one thing and one thing only, that we may be one. And he's talking about an inner spiritual oneness. And I want us to read this again, verses 20 through 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as in the same way. Now, watch this. He wants us to be one in the same way that who is one? He and the Father. Now, now let's read that again. Father, I pray that Derek and Ron will be one, the same way that you and I are one. You see what he's saying? I mean, that, by the way, I got no idea what to do with that, to be honest with you. He's praying that they'll be one. They'll be united in the same way. Does everybody see that? Just as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you. I want them to be united in the same way. Now, in other words, Jesus is praying that you and I will experience the same kind of unity, the same kind of oneness that the Father and Son experienced. Now, again, that's, that's, that's kind of heavy. I got really no idea how to, uh, how to process it. So, how can we? Let's ask that question. How can you and I be one in the same sense that the Father and the Son are one? Well, by the way, it, obviously, he's not talking about in divine essence, right? We, we can't be one like the Trinity. Now, that, that can't be what he's talking about. So, what can we take from that statement? Well, let me tell you, first of all, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not talking about some superficial, organizational, denominational, ecumenical, uh, administrative oneness. This is not an outside thing, right? Um, he's talking about something much deeper, something that's inside of us, and something that's spiritual. This, this unity that he wants us to have, it's got to transcend the physical, and it's got to transcend the earthly, and it has to be something of a, of a divine source. Okay? So he's not saying, I want of Springs Baptist and River of Life to be one in the sense that they both believe the same thing and they worship the same way and they have the same bylaws and they have the same... everybody with me? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something inside of us. So that, that we can tell for, for sure. Um, in fact, let me say this. We understand that every congregation of people in the United States, in Walcala County, around the world, they're not going to organize themselves in the same way. We're not all going to have the same statement of beliefs. We're not, going to have the sa- We're not going to all worship the same way. We're not going to have the same order of service. All churches are different. And we understand that believers are going to gravitate toward congregations that they're comfortable with. Do we agree? Isn't that what people do? I'm more comfortable I'm more comfortable here than I am over there for whatever reason that may be. So so believers are not going to worship God in the same form in the same pattern. And by the way, that's fine. I got no problem with that whatsoever, and I don't think God really has any problem with it. What Jesus is talking about here is a unity that has nothing to do with forms and pattern and order of service and bylaws and things like that. It's a spiritual oneness. It's an inner oneness that transcends congregations and denominations. Now, sadly though, has that been true through history? Is it true today? Not really. Not not really. Um, And you ask why? Well, because men and women have consistently loved their organizations and their selves more than they loved each other. You know, my organization, my denomination, my my the things that I want are more important than loving someone that does it differently that's why uh, that therein lies the cause of, of division so the question is how do we become in practice what we already are in position what is the secret of this inner spiritual unity among believers well Jesus is going to tell us now watch this in verse 22 he said this the glory that you have given me I have given to them so that what? So that they may be one even as we are one. Now there you go. He's saying the glory that you've given me, I've given to them so that they can be one across you know, denominations, across boundaries, across cultures, across race, across whatever the case may be. Now that, there you go. Now... <laughs> Anyone want to take a shot at that? What that means? same Christ that lives in you lives in me. There you go. That's exactly what it comes down to. This, by the way, this is not the glory of his deity. Okay? In other words, we don't all become gods. But it's exactly right. It's the glory of the supernatural life which we have through the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit comes into us and it empowers us with a selfless love and with a divine character of a new nature. We're new people. We're not the same people that used to divide themselves on all those different boundaries. We're supposed to be different people because we have the Christ in me as the Christ in you. We, we're we're a, Remember what it said? You were once two people, now you're the same people. You were once different ethnicities. You were different cultures. You were different races. Not anymore. And it's not, there's no Jew, nor Greek, nor, nor black, nor white, nor male. It's not about all those things anymore. It's all about Christ in us. That's who you are. Um, and it is this and only this, the ability to be Christ-like that enables us to have unity. If you're going to walk in unity, you walk in it because we're all like Christ. In fact, A.W. Tozer has an illustration that I think was really helpful to me here. He says if you got 400 pianos and you try to tune the first piano, right, and get it right, and then you go tune the second piano and try to tune it to the first one, and then you try to tune the third piano to the second one, everybody with me? If you try to do that at the end of 400 pianos, do you think anything's in tune? No. But if you have one tuning fork that you know is right, and you tune all the pianos to that one fork, guess what? Now you can have 400 pianos that are in tune, that are working together, uh, all in union, right? See, that's that's the point. The point is, we don't go around trying to unify with one another based on some bylaws or outward standards or the way we try to worship or the things we like or don't like. What we need to do is tune ourselves to Jesus Christ. What we need to do is to be like him. We need to love God and seek holiness. In fact, if you unify with him, what you'll find out that there you'll look around one day and all of a sudden there is a unity with the brothers and sisters who are not like you because you're all unifying to him. Okay, That's the secret of, of, of our unity and that's a secret of a unity that goes far beyond superficials. A lot of churches, a lot of denominations, there's an ecumenical movement in the world that tries to unify, but they're unifying on the completely wrong thing. They're they're trying to unify the lowest common denominator of their beliefs. And Jesus said, no, unify through me. Unify because I'm in you and you're in me. Now, lastly, I want to cover this. Why does Christ desire unity among believers? Why is, by the way, he prays for one thing. For us, for our life here on earth, and that's unity. Why is it so important? You might want to. Okay, there's strife, but there's a there's a reason. In fact, look at your scripture. He's going to actually tell you. Same, message, same goal. Same message, same goal. What is that? Same message and same goal, though. True. True? We need to show a unified front to the rest of the world, the rest of the world does three of them. Because Christ and God and the Holy Spirit are all unified, and we're supposed to reflect them, then we need to be unified. Okay. And that's all that's all true, right? But he actually tells us a reason. This is why I want them to be unified. Let's, let's read it. John 17, 20 through 23. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that, in order that, for the purpose of that the world may believe that you've sent me. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, he says it again, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Listen. We... You know, there's, there's, there's nothing that bothers me more. I've been at this church now for, I don't know, how long, Kathy, 15 years maybe? Maybe 15 years. And, you know, we do we constantly see people come and go? Do people get offended and leave? Yeah, people come, go, get offended, and leave. And, and Jesus is saying to us, listen, I want you to be unified so that the world will believe in me. There's something about our unity. There's something about us walking in togetherness spiritually, having the same goals, the same the, the, the same uh, 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 things that we're working toward. There's something about that. Jesus says if you'll do that, the world will look at you and the world will believe that I'm real. That the world would believe that the Father sent me. And that I love them. So do you understand when we don't walk in unity, what we're doing? Do you understand the opposite of that? It's saying the world won't believe. There's something about our unity that, that gives a testimony. Way more than what we can say with our mouth. That gives a testimony to the world that Jesus Christ is real and that jesus christ is 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 true you see what he's saying is that the world will believe based on our unity see in the church i was reading something this week somebody did something and somebody else came up and said no what he did was wrong and it was two christians one christian said something another christian said no and and they evaluated what he said based on the word of god everybody with me guy said something and one guy said, no, what he's saying is wrong because this is what the Word of God says. We can do that in the church. Okay? We can do that in the church. We can evaluate a man or a woman based on their doctrine. But you can't do that. The world, can I tell you, the world doesn't care about doctrine. They don't care about doctrine. They don't mean anything to them. Nothing. In fact, even if they they cared about doctrine, they can't understand it because they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. And they can't... That they can. Huh? It's not that they can't. Just no, they can't. No, Corinthians says... The Corinthians says without the Spirit, a, a natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. They can't understand it. And that's what Corinthians tells us. They have to have the Spirit to understand things of the Spirit of God. They can't understand doctrine. Now, here's the thing. So, the world is going to evaluate the claims of Christ based on what? Doctrine? No. They evaluate the claims of Christ based on you and me and our lives and what we do. That's how they evaluate whether Jesus Christ is real. So, when we get mad with one another and get offended one another and we don't walk in love and forgiveness and mercy and unity, what does that say to the world? that ain't real it's not not real that guy don't have anything in him that's exactly what it says to him so Jesus said go back to what we said earlier when you walk in unity you're walking in love and mercy and forgiveness and the the world sees that and says man they're, they're different they're not like everybody else See, they're evaluating Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed, remember, for the disciples. He said, I pray they'll glorify me. Right? Because he's gone. Our, what we do, guys, is important. The way we live is incredibly important. Somebody's watching you. From your children to your grandchildren to your friends and your co-workers, what you do matters. Kath and I were talking about this last night. And I won't go into a lot of details. But when you go somewhere... The things that you do matter. People are watching you. Are you the same as the world? Or are you different from the world? They're, they're looking. What, what testimony are you giving? Are you, are you exactly the same as everybody else? If you are, there, there's nothing there that glorifies Christ that says, I serve a risen Savior that's made a, different inside, a difference inside of me. But when you walk in, there's something about unity there's something about that that puts a testimony out to the, to the world. Men may not believe in truth, but they'll believe listen, everybody believes in love, right? You can, t- you can take anybody out there, they all everybody wants to be there's just something naturally in us that wants to know love and wants to be love, wants to see love, right? Love has a tremendous testimony to the world. When the world sees our unity based on our holiness and based on our love, then they'll ask about our doctrine. What is it that makes you the way you are? Can you tell me? Right? That, that leads them to our doctrine. So as a Christian, this is our task to glorify God through our unity. Now, that's, it's not easy, by the way. Let me tell you, you... In a family, it's not easy to be unified, is it? I mean, it's there's always things even in the family that's trying to tear us apart. It, it, it's no different in the in the one of the things the, the Bible talks over and over again about. This church is supposed to be a family, is it not? Aren't we in the family of God? Which means when somebody in my family at home offends me, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I hope I'm going to forgive them, right? (laughs) Because they're my family. I I mean, that's one of the things about a marriage and a family is you you have to constantly practice grace and mercy and forgiveness every single day. It makes you practice those things, doesn't it? Because if it doesn't, that family will rip apart. You have to walk in grace. You have to walk in mercy, walk in forgiveness. Why would we do it at our homes and not do it in this building? We are the family of God. We should walk in the exact same things. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Yeah, I know that guy ain't perfect. Yeah, I don't agree with what he says or what he does, but he's my family. I'm going to walk in grace. By the way, it doesn't mean I don't admonish, that I don't discipline, just like we do in our families. But the fact is, we don't get offended and leave the family, do we? I hope not. You stay in, you work it out, you walk it out. See, when people see us doing that with people we don't even really know, that 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 don't belong to our neck, when they see us doing that, that says to them, they're different. I want what they have. And that draws them to our doctrine. And so Jesus is praying that we will be one. Now, one more thing he asked in verses 24 to 26. Remember, he asked for two things for us. Number one, unity. Be unified. This is the second thing he says. Father, Now, I love this one. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And I want to look at that verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Let me point out one thing. Does Jesus always pray in perfect accord with the Father's will? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Does he have perfect faith in the Father? Yes. Yes. Does Jesus ever pray a prayer that's not answered? No. Every prayer Jesus prays is answered because he's in perfect accord with the Father's will. He has perfect faith in the Father. Everything he prays will always be answered. And watch what he said. Father, I want, I'm asking that those who believe in my name, not only these eleven, but all those that'll come, I'm asking that they'll one day be with me where I am. In other words, I want them in heaven with me. I want Derek to be in heaven with me. Listen, we see this all through Scripture. Luke 23, 43, Jesus says, I assure you to the thief on the cross, I assure you, I guarantee you, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5 Paul says, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Philippians 1 23, Paul says, I'm torn between these two things. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for, for me. See, when a believer dies, when you and I die, we go instantly into the presence of Christ to behold his glory. And if you're a believer, that's not a pipe dream. That's not wishful thinking. It is something that's absolutely guaranteed. Not only do I have these scriptures to rely on, but you see, the fact is that Jesus Christ asked for that to Father. I pray that one day, Father Ron will be where I'm at. I pray one day that Derek will be where I'm at. And by the way, his prayers are always answer so i have a guarantee because jesus prayed for me by name i mean he knows me wouldn't it be great if i could pray for Elocate and say lord i want Elocate to be in heaven and i knew because i'm in perfect accord with the father's will wouldn't that be the greatest thing in the world jesus can do that he can say i want them to be with me and it happens Right, I mean, to me, that is just awesome. It's just another guarantee that nothing can take me uh, out of out of His hand. When we start to think about heaven and the glory of Christ, I understand it's beyond our comprehension. Uh, You know, we just can't understand with our human minds what it's going to. It reminds me of a story. One time, I heard about this little blind girl. I don't know if it was just a story, if it was true, but she couldn't see, and her mother would constantly describe the world to her. She would describe trees and animals in the sky, trying to tell her what the world was, was like, but she, she'd never seen it for herself, right? She, she'd been told, but she couldn't understand it. Well, one day, this surgeon performed these series of operations on her, and when the final surgery was complete, they took the bandages off, and, and, and the operation was successful, and she could see for the first time. So the first thing she does is she runs to her parents, but then she runs over to the window, and she looks outside. And uh, she comes back and she says, Mama, why didn't you tell me the world was so beautiful? And her mama said, Well, honey, I, I tried. Right? See, the fact is, I don't care how the Bible tries to explain it to us. We're not going to understand it until we see it. We just can't. We 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 can't comprehend it. But one day, one day we will see it. And see you know just like that little blind girl we can't understand what we've seen what we've never seen so we have to trust the bible so when paul says Romans 8:18 8, yet what we suffer now is nothing nothing compared to the glory that we're going to see later we have to trust that like that little mama told that girl this is how great it is she couldn't get it until she saw it that's what paul's telling us this is how you're not going to believe it you, you you're not going to under, even understand it until you see it. But when you do, you'll look back and say that was that was nothing. That that was nothing. Paul says it again in Second Corinthians four seventeen. Our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, and will last uh, last forever. Okay, real quickly. Uh, we did get the, um, I want to put this up here, so we did get the, you know, the, I've been posting these to the website, and that got broke um, for the two of y'all that actually go out there and listen to it, um, but it got broke, so there's the link up top if you want to write that down. Uh, if you can't remember it, you can go to riveroflifefl.com, click on Get Involved, and go to that page and scroll down to the bottom, and they got my name there in big blue. So you can, and that'll, so I'm posting these, uh, what I'm doing is I post these lessons every Sunday night or Monday morning, and you can go out there and listen to them. So I'll leave that up for a second. All right. Any other questions, comments, concerns?